man. Not much yourself. I, I cannot. I cannot complain, bro. I, I appreciate you jumping on with me, man. What's your What's your day looking like today? Uh, today's easy. Just got one thing later today. Not until three o'clock. Yeah. Thursdays are a nice quiet day. Good. What are, what are your, like your busy days? Mondays and Wednesdays. <laughs> so what? So give, walk, walk me through a Monday. What's a Monday gonna look like for you? Uh, first things usually. But 9.30, go straight till noon, and then again, starting back up around 3 or 4, going until 7, depending on Monday, sometimes 8. And are these mostly, like, teams you're working with, or are these, like, a, a bunch of individuals? No, for the most part, it's all, like, the one-on-one client type things. To basically, that's the bill pairs. And then uh, I got a – usually on Mondays, up until the indoor season started, I had a group of uh, the track people from here in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, now they've moved over to Tuesday morning just because their Monday evening practice is their most intense one. Gotcha. And uh, with, uh, I, I don't know if you can remember this, but do you remember the first time we, we met? Or, yeah, we just, I would say met. One of the first time that we talked? Yeah, probably, what, 2006 OTFAs here in Ottawa when you uh, lit me up in the 100 and then the next day your brother uh, made me feel like I wasn't even moving in the 200? I don't, I don't, remember, I don't remember that. Um, the, you always guess, remember when you get your ass kicked. Because <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about this and I thought it was Ottawa. No, I guess, well, no, I thought it was Offsa. Offsa, um, yeah, was the other one, but it was definitely... You always remember when the people who completely light you up in a race, because yeah. you're like, son of a bitch, that was bad. <laughs> like, I'm way back. This guy's running. I think you were running like 10, 6 or 10, 7 at the time. And I was like, yeah, well, I just ran 11, 4, windy. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, do me a favor. Try and take out your headphone and not in the other ear, the other ear. Because I think what's happening is I think the mic is hitting your, it's hitting your beard. Oh, <laughs> Because the mic's on the right side. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that's good. Because I think when it, when it hangs like that, it won't, it won't hit it as much. No, it's good. All right, man. So we can, we, let's get into it. We obviously got, like we were texting about it yesterday. We can go down, you know, <laughs> a, a huge rabbit hole with this one. But the reason I, I think this is a good topic for you is because like what you were literally just saying. I remember distinctly when I met you or when we talked in Ottawa anyway. I remember... That was something that jumped out. You can obviously tell you, your passion for, like, the sport for track. I wouldn't even say just for track. Just for sport, it seemed like. You just, you had energy. You loved it. It was, like, easy to talk to. You had so much energy. You were just zingy. And, <laughs> but, you know, obviously, from a talent standpoint, you didn't have all the talent in the world. So just talk a little bit about that and just, like, your, your experiences with that. Yeah, like, well, like, I'm five foot six, and – Back, like, when you basically met me was, I was maybe 100 pounds soaking wet graduating high school. Like, I'm not even kidding. When I went into university, I was maybe 105 pounds. Mm-hmm. And that was after a month off, just eating, doing whatever I wanted. Uh, but, yeah, like, I knew when I, well, it started when I was playing basket, basketball. Yeah, I was the short guy, so I had to work harder just to be able to come close to competing with some of the other guys that I was standing there next to uh and like it's probably something i got more so from like my dad when it comes to okay you got to work your ass off no matter what it is mm-hmm. uh i guess a uh, little bit of military upbringing puts a little bit of sense of urgency in you when it comes to especially like the physical domain mm-hmm. uh track it was pretty because it's such a metric based sport you can tell it's not like soccer basketball where it's like i'm better than you how i got more touchdowns than you yeah you also got throw you're also wide open because you suck mm-hmm. so you get more touchdowns whereas track it's i'm faster than you really what does the clock say oh i ran 11.99 you ran 12.00 so i'm faster than you right now mm-hmm. kind of thing uh and like when more i first more concrete for sure oh yeah like it's a set metric that's what makes it such a pure sport too uh but the big thing for me was when i first started i was like i had run that high school season I ran what 12-2 or something like I didn't even make it out of my conference like it, for people who don't know how like I know Toronto's the same way as Ottawa you cut the city gets broken up into little parts and then you get your move on to qualify 
into the bigger meets. Like I didn't even make it into my conference final in grade 11. Like, I think I was like, I can probably find it somewhere. I was like 10th, 11th or like 13th. I'm not even sure if I made the semifinals. Like it was bad. And then I was like, fuck this. Like, I know I could beat some of these guys if I like actually put some work in. Like I went to high school practices where it's like, oh yeah, just go run like sprinters. Oh yeah, just go run 5K with the distance runners. Oh, we're gonna have practice two, three times. You have to show up to ten practices before uh, like off stuff for it to count. Okay, so I went to just the mandatory practices. I was working at the time, so I was always having to make sure that I was keeping my like building up my time management skills when you're in high school. It's huge, but as soon as I realized, okay, I know I can beat some of these guys, I joined Ottawa Lions, which is a massive club in Canada. Yeah, so like, so big. It's still, it still is amazing to me that no other club has managed to develop and survive in Ottawa. Well, it's it's simply because like the management of the club is just unreal. Like uh, the director of the club, Andy McInnes, the guy works right now. He's running the Ottawa Lions. He's running the University of Ottawa team, Carlton Ravens team, Algonquin College, freaking uh, like little club team. He runs all of those. Yeah, like, he's in charge of all that. So, like, the guy works this summer. I remember going to one, uh, going to a soccer game of two of my clients. And they were playing at uh, where the track is. So I stopped in, saw him on my way in, and I was like, what time did you get here today? I was like, oh, I've been here since, like, 7 o'clock this morning. This is leading into nationals. Mm-hmm. And then as I was leaving, he was still there, lights still on. It was, like, 10 o'clock at night, 10.30 at night. And like he's like, yeah, I'll be back here tomorrow morning, seven a.m. So he's he's just putting in he's just putting in that work that other coaches and and administrations is not doing. Yeah, but like back to uh, what I was saying when it came to like the, my own per, putting the work in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I first started, I was like that was the summer where I was saying like you blitzed me in the hundred. Your brother completely just really <laughs> was putting your brother shat on me in the two hundred. It was. I'll never forget looking to see how far ahead the guy was. Like, I need, I don't wear glasses when I run, and your brother was so far ahead, I could barely even see the blur where he was. I was like, damn, I just got my ass kicked. Like, that was when I said, okay, grade 12, my goal, I'm going to OFSA. Uh, I ended up make, going from not even making my conference meet to it was me, it was a training partner of mine and me that were, I'm pretty sure you remember Ramon. Yeah. 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 Like, it was us two just, and then uh, a kid who was in grade 10, who's now been to two Olympics, guy you know, Shagun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all trained together that year. And we were basically the three guys in the city that no one was really coming close to. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's where I realized, hey, if I actually freaking put my head down, work my ass, I'll be diligent with everything. I can do all right. And then we ended up getting a University of Ottawa team, which is where I went to university for my Bachelor of Science in Human Kinetics. And when you get to the university level, you realize who's got talent and who doesn't. And like, I was every race, I was the skinny ass white boy getting his ass handed to him in a couple of meets, a couple of meets. Yeah. Because I have a good start. I could do all right. But it was, I knew I had to put in the work, not just on the track, but off the track in order to even have a chance. I had to make sure I was sleeping. I had to make sure I was eating uh, properly, not just, yeah, sure. Like I'm a student athlete, so I would go to the calf, have pizza here and there. But I had to make sure that everything was taken care of on my end just to be able to survive training, let alone being able to compete with some of these guys. Okay, so my thing is, you know, you talked a lot about getting your ass kicked. How did you like hang in there and take that beating? And like to you, when you look at it now, was it worth it? Yeah, it was definitely worth it because like I'm one of those people where it's like if something's coming easy to me, like for me, school was always something that was pretty easy to come by to me. It's like I wasn't one of those people that had to really study really hard or reread notes multiple times just to pass or even get an A. Like I was one of those people, I could sit there in class half asleep. I don't understand how I retain half the crap that some of the profs were saying. Mm-hmm. Especially my anatomy prof was probably the worst accent you've ever heard, mm-hmm. but she was hilarious. Uh, so like when it comes something that came easy to me like that I knew I didn't have to spend as much time doing. So getting my ass kicked was like a motivator. I'm like, 
I'm hyper competitive. If we're drinking a glass of water, mm-hmm. to see who can drink it first. I'm going to be chugging that glass as fast as I can, even if there's choke on it. Mm-hmm. It's like what I would work out in a public gym. If I see a guy deadlifting 350, 400, I'm going to go put an extra wheel on the bar and try to pull it. I don't care if I'm one of those people. If I get hurt, I get hurt. Okay, yeah, lesson learned. But I'm going to go balls in just to try to get it. Yeah, and I think this is important to talk about because when you really think about it, 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 you know, there's more people out there who get their ass kicked than there are Kobe Bryant's, you know? <laughs> like, like Kobe Bryant got his ass kicked too. That, oh, no, he did. And that's the thing, he did. But it's like, there's something like when you look at that talent perspective and, and level. And so what would you say to someone who's listening who they do love to play whatever sport they do, but they know fully well that they don't have the talent and they're thinking like, okay, it's just worth it. Should I just quit and just focus on school? Or should I continue being an athlete as long as I, as I can, like, what's the point of even bothering with it? Like, this is something that I actually told a girl at the start of the summer uh, because she was thinking of quitting her sport, which was soccer, and just yeah. focusing on school because, like, this girl's got incredible grades to begin with. And something that I tell, regardless who it is, anything you're doing, go full in. Whether it's the sport, if you're going to do the sport, go full in. If you're doing just school, go full in. If you're doing both, Guess what? Even though you think you might not be able to focus on both and go all in on both, you can. Mm-hmm. Like anything you do, you got to give 100%. I hate that whole axiom of 110%. You can't give more than you have. So you got to give your best at every single thing that you do. If you don't, you're robbing yourself of potential. Look at, look at who's been playing in what, the eight Super Bowls now, Tom Brady. Like I'm one of those anybody but Tom fans because I was a Peyton Manning fan. But the Look at the man, 199th overall pick. He had his resume ready to go. Now he's the GOAT. Like, it's hard to admit, but that guy is the best quarterback in history. The stats show it. The record shows it. What? He's been to eight out of the last 18 Super Bowls. Like, he's got a better making the Super Bowl percentage than most point guards have shooting percentage in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So, and one of the things I remember reading, actually, I think it was on Monday I remember reading, it was him and uh, a coach at Michigan on a rec- the coach's daughter at, got to ask Tom Brady something on the plane uh, of why do you, how do you play with such a chip on your shoulder? What is it that motivates you? And he went through every single failure and knockback that he had through his entire career from being backup quarterback in California in high school all the way through. Listen to Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. What was the first thing he brought up? That bastard who cut me in grade nine or something. Now look at me. I'm the best. Like it's, if you're thinking of quitting, take a quick step back. I did it. I took four months off of track and then I realized, wait, I know I can do this. I know I'm capable of doing it. Any, what, how, what does that saying go? Anything worth doing isn't easy. Mm-hmm. Sure. The biggest freaks of the world in your sport they're going to have it easy they're going to make it a little bit further ahead but what coaches want to see at the end of the day is someone who's going to bust their ass regardless of what happens someone who's going to come in with not necessarily you don't have to come in ha ha smiling but you got to come in with an open mindset positive mindset exactly like the one thing that you can this is something that fights with with my own parents have come through where yeah like i'll have a chip on my shoulder about something or i'll be little bit ticked off or something but something that my dad and my uncle have always said to me was the one thing you can control above all else is your attitude and how you respond to something Mm -hmm. so that adversity of oh i don't know if i'm good enough to do it that's on you so you got to be able to take that step back and is this something you want to do if it's not something that you actually want to do then step away from it but if the moment you step away all of a sudden you have that regret that tells you, wait, I want to do this. So that's when you know, okay, I got to put in the work. If the talented guy beside you only has to put in 50% effort to do it, put in your hundred percent coach will notice, especially on a team sport. They're going to want that team player more than they're going to want that super athlete. Oh, that's, that's a, yeah, we can go down a lot of different things with that. Uh, (laughs) Give me one thing. I want to hear what it sounds like. Can you pull out your headphones just and just go, like, like pull them out of the, you know, what it sounds? 
Where's my volume button? How does that sound? Yeah, that's good. All right, we'll go with that. It's just normally easier with the headphones. Yeah, yeah. Um, but okay, so with it, with everything you just said, oh man, okay. When you are giving 100%, one thing I did want to talk about, and I think one thing I haven't noticed is that you can be really talented in for all your life, right? You can be talented, you can have, you can have it easy like you are talking about, but once you get into like real life and you're working, whether you start your own business or you're just working in the workforce, there isn't any talent anymore. I feel like then it really just comes down to being able to put in the work. So what has been your experience now with the, that attitude and mindset that you had throughout all those years in sports when you didn't quit and you kept giving your all and now that you transitioned into running your own business, how has that kind of worked out for you? Like it's got a lot of the same parallels. Like I even <laughs> I can hear you a little one there. Oh, can you hear? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, like there are a lot of parallels though with it because like even within the gym that I'm at, you can see that there's some people who are good and there's some people where you're just like, what are you doing in this career? Why are you stealing your clients' money? Uh, so it's the big thing that sport definitely helps you with when it comes to transferring into business or workforce is that it, all those setbacks that you have, all those times where you literally, you're sitting there, you just want to cry because it's so hard. It helps you be able to be like, wait, I've overcome injuries. I've overcome shit like that. Uh, like this is, yeah, this is real life kind of thing. But it's like, everything is real life. The biggest thing back then was crap. Like my career is over. Oh crap. My, like, my hamstring is torn. Oh crap, I can't walk right now. Mm -hmm. So now it's, instead of it being that, it's, oh crap, I'm broke. Or, oh crap, like, I gotta get a client going. Crap, my client is injured. Like, because I work with some of the, some high performance athletes, it's like, shit, this person's not doing well right now. Like, I've got someone right now who's going through some tough time mentally themselves. So it's like, it helps all that coping mechanisms you get through sport and being able to focus on uh, kind of compartmentalizing things, be able to buckle down and focus hard on certain aspects that you can control. It really helps you in business side, especially being able to uh, relate with how people are going through stuff. So it's, it's the same, but it's just got a different parallel road to it. Mm -hmm. But definitely, you definitely say it helps you. Oh, definitely. Like, also because of being hyper competitive mm -hmm. stuff, it makes me when I see people who aren't necessarily all that good, it makes me want to be that much even better. When I see people that are good at the job, I want to be better than them. Period. Because mm -hmm. I want to set myself ahead of them, regardless of what it is that they're doing. So now, then, on the opposite side, then, and we we kind of got into this a little bit when we were texting uh, yesterday. But what would you say about? <laughs> talented athletes that and like the, the kind of correlation you've noticed between talent and laziness <laughs> all right at the risk of sounding harsh like at the risk of sounding racist it's just something that i've noticed you've noticed it yeah it, especially true in the sport of track and field is dominated by african-american black athletes mm -hmm. because it's the sport of genetic freaks but something that I've noticed here in Ottawa is other than, I'd say other than a handful, mm -hmm. and I've worked, I've been fortunate, I've worked with the majority of that handful of them, mm -hmm. uh, is they can have all the talent in the world, but the, a lot of the black kids are not willing to put in that work to take it to that next level. But when you look at a guy like, like I can't personally speak on what it was like in Toronto for you and your brother. Like mm -hmm. I've heard your brother put in a lot of work. I've heard like you'd bust your ass whether it was football or uh track like here in ottawa especially like where the track is it's at the it's a high school for indoors and they have a sportitude program a sport studies type program in the high school yeah and a lot of the kids in that are black but they are like some of these kids that you can see they have the raw talent to do well in the sport that they're doing but they're just so fucking lazy to put in the work. It's like, oh man, like ah, I just don't want to do it. Like motherfucker, like are you out of your mind right now? Like, give me your natural talent, mm -hmm. and look what happens. It's 
the champions you see on TV at the Olympics, the guys you see playing in the Super Bowl, uh, NBA, other than hockey, because it's a very, very expensive sport, uh, the vast majority of the top athletes that you see are black. Why? Genetically, I'm a white guy saying this, genetically they're superior to us in the sport world. And what the hell just went in my eye? <laughs> but like, if they put in the work and they focus on every aspect that they need to, those are your Usain Bolt. Look how genetically freakishly gifted he was. At 16 years old, he ran, what, the number three time in the world in 2004? Mm-hmm. When he, you know, he was 18 when he ran in 1996 as a junior. Yeah, as a junior, yeah. And then he was, what was the knock that even he said about himself up until 2008? Oh, I just wanted to party. He's just lazy. Yeah, yeah. What, what happened in 2008? He got serious and he defecated on the world at the Olympics, yeah. pounding his chest winning the Olympic championship in the 100, 200, 4 by one the following year into a head when he runs 1919. And the closest time since then is his training partner who's been busting his ass for just as long. Mm-hmm. Look at the fruits of those labors. Look at Bo Jackson, probably the biggest freak athlete the NFL and MLB combined has ever seen. When people put in the work and they're genetically gifted, you can't beat them. Saying I tell every athlete that I work with is hard work will beat a gifted athlete every time, but a gifted athlete that works hard can't be beat. So, so let, let me ask you this then. Why do you think that is? You know, in your experiences as a coach, you've noticed, okay, you get these, these talented black athletes that come in and, you know, you see that they clearly you're gifted and for whatever reason, they're not willing to turn it up a notch to take it to that that next level like what is it that you think is the thing that stops them from doing that is it just a matter of you know you just feel entitled like it's just going to keep coming to you because it has come to you and it's like you've gotten from high school to university or you got from university to running after university so you feel like you're just going to keep going like that without having to work hard like what do you think that that, that thing that makes a difference is for them i think the biggest thing for them is a lot of it is their social circle uh but it's also what you were saying there when it comes to it's just been easy for them like when something's easy for you you take it a lot of people take it for granted it's like look at marriages guys who take their marriage for granted lose it Mm -hmm. guys who take their people who take their work careers for granted lose them it's the same thing with sport if you take your gifted talents for granted eight Father time's going to catch up to you regardless. You're going to run out of time to capitalize on them. And then that kid who is maybe 5% less gifted than you, but busted his ass off, showed up to practice, was there front and center, listening to every direction that the coach gave, put in that extra little effort after practice. Kobe Bryant was the first guy in the gym, last guy to leave. Tom Brady, first guy in the video room, last guy to leave. Peyton Manning teaching his freaking receivers where he wants them to go in the middle of a game, goes out, freaking breaks down the defense, calls, pulls them offside, throws a 50-yard cross route that no one even knew was there. But why? Because he put in all that extra little work. Mm-hmm. The greats at everything put in that extra little work, uh, whether it's business or whether it's sport. Bill Gates said he didn't take a day off in his 20s. He's, if it wasn't for the U.S. government stopping him, he'd probably own Apple, Google, Amazon, and everything under the sun right now. Yes, he would. Um, yeah, and I, I want to add on to that because I think what, what, I've, what I've personally noticed is, yes, like when you do meet a lot of white athletes, the, the white athletes I have known throughout my life have just been insane. Like, and especially in track, like I find that a lot of the white athletes tend to be like monsters in the weight room too. Like they know they have to do everything to get every little edge. Like for me personally, I actually liked lifting more than I liked running, which was like rare for a lot of athletes. Like most, most sprinters seem to be like, like the weight room is like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say most. Like I just run into a lot that it's like the weight room is like, it's like poison to them. Like it's like the worst, it's like the worst part of their day to have to go in there and lift or whatever. And, um, but I also think it's important how I kind of seen things throughout my, my life is when you look at 
you know, slavery and things that happened throughout slavery. I think that's what a lot of the, where a lot of the genetic superiority in terms of sports and physicalness has come from the fact that if you were weak during those years of slavery, you just either died or you just didn't make it. Like you were, you were, there was no need for you. So after so many years of just, <laughs> no, I think it's the truth. Like, you know, why would you want a weak person who, you know, physically can't do the work and why would you want them? Why would you buy them or whatever? They're just, you know, you get rid of them. And, but after years of that, it's like you end up with a genetic superiority, but that's where, you know, that advantage almost ends up being a weakness because then you feel entitled and you kind of just trust in that. But what I, how I've always kind of seen it, especially more now that I'm older and I, and I read more about slavery and stuff is you have to really look at that and be like your ancestors would love to have the opportunity to live in this modern world that we live in today and have the, the things that we have today. Cause they didn't have those things, obviously those freedoms. Um, so you have to really appreciate that and, and don't take that for granted. But I, I think you're hundred percent right. And I think relationships doesn't even have to be marriage, any relationship you have. If you take a relationship for granted, it just disappears. That's how all relationships just work. Um, over time, people just get fed up. It doesn't even, even if it's your parents, sometimes you take your parents for granted and eventually like they won't necessarily cut you off, but well, they're guilty of that. Or yeah. But they'll eventually just be like, you know, I've had enough of you and I'm not doing whatever they were doing for you. And then you realize, you know, you, what you had. And I, I think that's huge um, when it comes to talent. And you know what? The reality of, of it for me is <laughs> all the podcasts I've done so far, someone's brought up something kind of controversial or whatever, but I think the reality of why things don't get better in life is because people are just too scared to have conversations that need to be had. If that's something that you've genuinely experienced, that needs to be brought up. And, and people can argue against it and say what they have to say or whatever the case is. But um, I think we don't get anywhere when we just try and skirt around. Um, or just get angry about it. Like yes. Angry about it just pushes the other side to be angry back and then you can't have dialogue. It's the same with and everything if you're just freaking launching bombs at each other you're not going to talk you're just going to go for mutually assured destruction there we go and this is actually i, I i'm happy you said that because it's so true and one thing i've noticed um even just like with something like religion like i'm the type of person i can talk with anyone from any religion whether you believe in god don't believe in god doesn't really matter to me i can have that conversation with you but i never get upset either way like even if you attack what i believe I don't really see a reason to get upset about that. And when you stay calm about something, then you can actually have that conversation and continue on. Um, but as soon as that, 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 that anger ticks up, even just a little bit, then the other person starts to get like, uh, and then it just keeps going, going, going. And next thing you know, you're fighting or just screaming at each other, you know? Yep. Or one side just shuts down and then you're like, oh, wait, what, what's going on? <laughs> so I, I have a question for you then. Have you had an athlete that you, that they came in and they were, they were on the lazier end but then through something that happened to them or just through coaching and I don't know, something happened that you saw that actually change and they were like, Oh, I get it now. I need to lock in and do this. Or has it always just been, if they're lazy, they're lazy. The ones that come in and work hard, they work hard. And it just is always like that. No, I've had, I've had one of those. Like, uh, cause I used to work with the university of Ottawa's women's soccer team. Yeah. And there was a girl on the team there who was like, Especially, she had an, a friend on the team who was an enabler to her laziness. And something that I realized really quick was, okay, when they're separate, they'll both work a little bit harder. Mm. But they were both still a little bit innately lazy when it came to putting in that off-season type work. Mm. Uh, but what changed for her was an injury. Uh. Like this Injuries, I find, will either make you or break you. put in that work or you're going to fuck off and die in, in this, not literally fuck off and die, but you're just going to be gone from the sport mm -hmm. because either you mentally can't handle it or you're just not willing to put in that work to make it happen. And this girl, when she tore her ACL, which is a significant injury, but it's, sure. it's uncharacteristically common in women's soccer compared to most other sports. Uh, three days after she tore it, that's, uh, the summer before uh, the 2013 season, she sent me an email being like, look, can we, I got injured. Can we sit down and talk? Like this is someone who the winter before that didn't want to really show up to workouts or anything. When she did, it was like, 
a little bit half-assed. But like this girl going before going into surgery was stronger than she was when she was healthy. Wow. Like this girl was able to split squat the day before surgery over 150 pounds. That's a single like squat basically that she's doing a hundred plus pounds on. Like, and then after sur- after surgery, when she was cleared to start working out again, she was in the most often. She was usually the last one to leave. Well, partially why she was last to leave is it took her a little bit longer to get up and downstairs. But, and then that following summer, she put in the work to be ready to play. And in her, I think it was her second game back, she scored a goal. So it was like, it came full circle for her. And she was always kind of like, after her injury, after the surgery, she was the one that was, became kind of more of like the, the voice of getting other people to train. And she started becoming a leader after that. Yeah, like that summer, I, the summer 2014, I put a program together for the team, for those who were in town. Uh, where they would train as a group with me and she missed her and maybe one other girl might have missed over the course of the entire summer three or four workouts which when you factor in that is the summer Mm -hmm. they're playing summer soccer she wasn't able to play summer soccer but they're still going to travel a little bit they're still going to go have fun with their friends party like I still a lot going on Yeah, yeah yeah like she was putting in the work. Uh, the other one ended up traveling just only, I think it was a week that she traveled. But like, this girl put in all the work, and yeah, there are setbacks when you're coming back from a major injury. But she went from being just naturally talented. She was usually the fastest one on the team. She was a big physical player. If she went into contact with you, she broke you. Mm-hmm. Like, she was like a running, she was more like a fullback that played soccer the only way to kind of describe what she was like on the field yeah just if you're in her way she's running through you and she's going to score but then when she put in the work and game, after game the game, incredible it's it's funny because <clears throat> that's actually a big part of my own story as well so i can really relate to that i just happened to have a really major injury when i was young from football I had a spiral fracture in my tibia when i was 11 and i had surgery on it twice yeah it was brutal and that, so I, I was, I, I caught the ball on a screen and a guy grabbed my left leg and was rolling with it while someone had my upper body held up. So yeah, it was, it was, it happened so fast, but that was brutal. So he twisted it, spinal fracture, and it cracked through my growth plate. And when you're 11 and you're still growing, that's a huge problem. So yeah, so they had to put screws in my ankle and make sure my growth plate was still good. And then put screws and a plate in my, in my tibia to hold it back straight again and like that there was that risk or that thought in the back of my head like what if I can't play sports again like and you know it obviously like no one said that to me but you just just a natural fear that kind of developed and after that my parents were smart because they used that moment to start teaching me about eating properly and sleeping and drinking water and all that because they never really said anything to me about it before they let me play and I was talented I did my thing I scored touchdown that was great and I wouldn't say that I, I would like dog it at practice, but I wasn't like the hard, the go hard, working hard all the time guy either. Um, but after that, that, that kick in the ass of getting hurt and how hard it was to come back from that was just a, a huge, huge life shift for me. And after that, just once you go through something like that, you don't want to go through it again. So you, you, you do all the little things you can to stay healthy. But I want to actually talk to you about that because I think you're, actually, I'm not, not I think, I know when you ran you were one of those guys who did all the little things. And I think coaches say that a lot. They'll be like, you got to do the little things. But what do the little things actually compose of? Like, probably the best place to direct this is more towards, like, your collegiate athletes and young athletes that want to be scholarship-type athletes. Yeah. Uh, when you're in season, don't fucking go out and party. That's, that's number one. Something that I saw a couple weeks ago here in Ottawa was there was a uh, a flip cup tournament for the student athletes. Mm-hmm. And I said I said to a few of the athletes that I work with, I said, if you go to this and you are in season, you do not give a flying fuck about your success in your sport, your team's success, 
nor do you care about your coach. When you're a collegiate athlete, your coach is all your coach becomes almost like a, another parent to you mm-hmm. or a confidant to you because they're the one that's going to have the most contact with you out of everyone. Not your professors, not your if you have a guidance counselor, not even your friends are going to have the same kind of contact with you as your coach because they're going to see stuff from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. So not going out and partying, getting drunk, getting bliss every weekend, chasing ass every weekend. Because all that's going to do is going to take away from your ability to perform when it matters. Dude, I agree 100% with you making that the first point. I think I, I can definitely say without a doubt when I was in college, I saw so many careers ruined by chasing ass. Like, it's, it's like unbelievable. And the thing about it is, I always say this to people, it's not the actual, like, sex that is actually, like, hurting you. It's the fact that you're unfocused and it tends to happen really late at night. That's just like how it ends up working. So you're not sleeping because all you're focused on is trying to get this girl, trying to get this boy or, or whatever the case is. And you're up late, you're not doing, and your, your mind is completely not thinking about anything you're supposed to do. No school where, like, you know, you get behind in school, it's just like a downward, just everything just blows up. Yeah, which leads perfectly to point two, sleep. That's the only time that you're truly recovering. You're not recovering when you're in class. You're not recovering when you're at work. You're not recovering when you're driving somewhere. You're not recovering when you're watching TV. Yeah, you're mindlessly killing brain cells or mindlessly just numbing yourself a little bit. You need some of that kind of downtime. But getting to sleep is the biggest thing for recovery. So if you're going out and partying, you're not sleeping. If you're chasing ass, you're not sleeping. If you're a student athlete or an athlete of any caliber, you don't have to really worry about chasing ass. Take a look outside every locker room of every college campus or every sport or whatever. You don't need to go chasing it. Mm-hmm. Be a good person. You're not going to have to worry about any of that stuff. Yeah. The other thing is stay on top of, not necessarily just staying on top of school, but your time management. When you're not managing your time well, you're going to end up stressed out about stupid shit. You're not managing your time well, you're going to fall behind in classes. You're going to fall behind at practice. You're going to miss deadlines. And these deadlines can come back to haunt you because I don't know exactly how it is at some NCAA schools, but I know just to get into school, you have to have relatively good grades. You can't be an illiterate idiot. Mm -hmm. So you still need to focus on your schooling. No pro sport other than maybe track doesn't require you some form of education. You have to graduate high school just with every major sport. So if you can't, if you're not taking care of your grades to get through high school, kiss any thought of a career in sport goodbye. Even in track and field, if you're an idiot, you're going to lose a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. because the only way you're making money in track and field or wrestling or any of these smaller Olympic sports is through sponsorship. You gotta be marketable. Yeah, sponsors care about basically three things. Can we put you in front of a camera and are you gonna be an idiot when you talk? As vain as it is, they care about your looks. <laughs> yeah, they definitely care about your looks. Hey, take a look at Nike's uh, running campaigns the last few years. Mm-hmm. They've been using, they use what? Good looking people to promote it. Why? Age old accent, sex sells. Good looks sells, period. There's no way around that. But the other thing is exactly what you said, your marketability. If you're not intelligent enough to be able to speak or show up to events and everything, if you don't have responsibility to be able to take care of that in time management, you're making no money from the sport. Don't care how fast you are. Usain Bolt doesn't necessarily have a degree in anything. Guy was making 60 million a year in endorsements for the most part. Mm Before he even put a spice on, he'd be like, okay, do you have my check for X number of hundred thousands just for me to be here? Okay, thank you. I'm going to go win, collect the winning bonus and everything else, take my share of this ticket sales and have a good day. Mm. When you're very good and you're personable and you're able to be marketed, the sky's the limit. LeBron James only has a high school diploma. Nike's basically giving him a lifetime contract. So true. And it's, the, it's even the same in women's sports. Serena Williams, 
is the best female athlete in the world. Look at all the endorsements she gets. Why? She's good in front of a camera. Sure, she can drop the odd over-religious thing or whatever, but she never goes out of bounds with stuff. As soon as you go out of bounds, you end up as an outcast. We've both seen it with people we know in the sport who have kind of, they had the talent, they ran the times to get stuff, but then they fucked it all up because they're an idiot. <laughs> Uh, do you have any? Do you have any more points you're gonna add on to that? Just in terms of doing the little things, like respect your coach's time, because that's the person who's gonna help you get either further ahead, or sit your ass on the bench and you're just gonna stew there and be angry. If you're not coming to practice, respecting your coach's time by listening to them. Don't you don't have to agree with them in everything, but at the end of the day, when it comes time to play. Whose decision is it that matters? Your coach. Mm -hmm. Sure, you might not be, you don't have to be an ass kisser, but you might have to suck up your own ego at times and go forward with it because the betterment of the team comes before you. And your coach cares about two things they care about how the team is doing, but they do care about you. It's, it's actually funny you bring up the ass kissing because I, this is something I've, I've really changed my mind on as I got older. Like when I was in high school, I was always like, you never kiss ass. You're, you have to never do that. Like you're the worst, you're a you know, uh, teacher's pet and like that type of stuff. But as I got older, what I realized, and I, I, I really learned this at Iowa State. When I first got there, I just retired on like the, um, the sports medicine staff. I just felt like they weren't doing anything to keep me healthy. I was hurt all the time. And then I finally just came up with a different approach and and it goes with what you're saying about respecting people's time. And I just started to, instead of always causing a problem, just drop my ego and just feed them whatever that they want. Like make them feel good about themselves. Bring them chocolates if, you know, if that's the, what they like. Just be nice to them. Just go out of your way to be nice. And you know what was sweet about it? When the Olympic year came, the, a big reason I ended up making that team is because those, that year and the year before the Olympic year, I didn't get hurt at all. And a big reason was because they would do anything for me. Like it, I was so nice to them. I had such a good relationship with them. My strength coaches and my actual coach, we were in such a good place. I could go to these guys or girls for anything and they would hook me up. And I think a lot of athletes underestimate the power of being on someone's good side. Because if you get, if you hurt your hamstring and you go to your training, your athletic training staff or your, you know, your massage therapist, chiropractor, whoever your school has, and they don't like you, it's not that they're not going to help you. They will, but you never, yes. And you never help someone <laughs> as much when you do not like them. Like you might think you do, but you don't. If you do not like someone, you do not give your all. Whereas if you like someone, and even if you don't know exactly what to do to help them, you're still going to go, you're going to help them find someone who can help. You're going to go way out of your, um, out of your way to, uh, make sure that person gets what they need just because you like them and you, you know, they make you feel good about yourself. So you're going to go that extra, that extra mile. So just keep that in the back of your mind. I think what, you know, for those listening, what Tony said about respecting your coaches that extends to anyone in your support staff, anyone who has anything to do with your team from your managers to the people who shoot video, you never know when you're going to need someone to help you out with something. And the last thing you want to do is be that guy who was mean to the video guys all year. And at the end you need like a highlight film and they're like, you know what? Screw this guy. Cause he was a dick to me all year. Yeah. Or not even necessarily a highlight film. Say you want graduate school. You want a professional degree. You want to go to medical school, chiro school, you want to go to law school. What are you going to be asking for to get there? Reference letters. Mm -hmm. If you're a bitch or a dick to your coach, you think he's going to give you that reference letter? No, he's going to basically look at you and be like, thank you for your time. Get out of my office. I'm done with you. Mm -hmm. Like, I only put up with you to this point because you were on the team. We're done. I'm done with you. That support now ends. But like how you're saying, I just realized considering my own profession, the one that I forgot was when it comes to taking care of the little things, like your technical practice, yes, that is paramount. That is huge. But to help you stay injury-free, to help you improve your own performance. You gotta be able to take care of your nutrition, so eating well, hydrating yourself properly, uh, and you gotta be able to 
be, you got to be able to put in the work in the weight room as well, regardless of the sport. I see Canada's women's national curling team, who's in Pyeongchang, uh, uh, Korea right now. They come to our gym. They see another trainer there. But they put in the work in the weight room. This is curling, a sport you don't necessarily associate with strength and conditioning. And these girls are in there. And I'll say that these girls will work harder than some guys I know. Mm. Like I'm saying this about another trainer's clients, that they will work harder than some guys I personally know. Mm. Like they work harder than, I'd probably say, the vast majority of varsity athletes, mm. especially male football players. Everyone likes to say men's football, they're hard workers. Newsflash. Men's football are some of the laziest fuckers you'll ever meet. Regardless of position, regardless of anything, yeah. because they are gods on campus. Yeah, yeah. They get everything catered to them. It's a, it ends up being too much entitlement after a while. Yeah. But who are those few guys on the team that you see make it to the next level? Those are the guys who are at film. Those are the guys who are in the weight room. Those are the guys who show up to every practice. Yeah. Those are the guys who still get good grades. They show up to study hall if, they have, if that's something they have to do. Those are the guys who have good time management skills. Why? That's what's setting them above you. Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was at Iowa State, I, I noticed this. The players in the team that were actually good and that actually contributed, you can go up to them, talk to them. They're good. They're easy to talk to. They worked hard. They, like, people had good things to say about them. And it was the guys who were on the bench who were, like, the worst to deal with. It was like – why are you like? Why are you acting like this? You don't even play like. And I, I always noticed that all of the guys that I that I went to Iowa State with that ended up getting a shot in the NFL, and that even some still play, talked like great guys, easy to talk with. And a lot of people they would guess it would be the other way. They would think the good guys are the ones that are like just like walking around with you know like I'm God and this and that. And I'm not saying that never does happen, but for the most part, the ones that do well, they work hard and in, in all aspects of their life. They're respectable people, and that is why they excel and you know go on to, to to play at the next level. Yeah, like look at every interview after an NFL game. Look at even look at the Super Bowl after the game. The losing players were still all just like, yeah, like we gave it everything we had. They beat us, but like they were able to still coordinate their thoughts and be personable. With this is after losing the biggest game of your life, and they're still able to talk about it. Uh, one of the best examples that you and I can both speak on personally, look at uh, the 2012 Olympics relay. Mm-hmm. Like, look at, look at how Canada disqualified lane violation. And the guy who did it, Jared, took it on the chin better than I would say any person could possibly take that. Before they even announced that, oh, Canada's been disqualified for this and it was that. He's talking there. I think he was, caught, was talking to Scott Oak on cbc and he's just like yeah i'm i'm sorry guys like this was me uh i'm pretty sure it was me i stepped on the line for this before it even came out that that's what it was mm-hmm. and then two minutes later he's still sitting there talking and he took that on the chin and take a look at twitter afterwards it was the biggest bashing of a guy you could imagine a guy who just ran the race of his life for his country and his country basically flipped on him and just Oh, were people bashing him? I thought people were showing him love for it. I didn't even. Oh, oh no, like there was a, like you would see some of the love. Yeah. If you went through a bit more, man, there was people just like ripping on him. And it was like, man, like, uh, this, this, this is a good people, dude. People turn on you quick. <laughs> you, yeah. People forget that in sports, man. You're only, you're only as good as your last performance. For sure, for and sure. You're only as good until your last screw up. Once you screw up, then everyone turns. Mm. Take a look at Tiger Woods. He screwed up, lost all his endorsements, lost his family. Why? Because he screwed up. Mm-hmm. Everything turns when you screwed up. But like when you're doing all the little things right, <laughs> all the way through, it amounts to a greater success. Not just for your team, not just for you. If you're in an individual sport, yes, for you. If you're in a team sport, it works into a better success for you, your team, and everyone around it. Mm-hmm. Because who are the people that you'll see at your games? You're going to see, you might see a prof of yours. Your friends may or may not show up, uh, but your coaches are there. Your family will, is there for a lot of it. 
they might not necessarily be acting, but they're the ones that are sitting there. When you're injured, who's taking care of you? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All the way growing up. Like a lot of, like I hear it a lot. Oh, parents will say, oh, I'm not sure if my kid appreciates it. Like what I hear from the kid is the complete other side of that. Because yeah, sure. Like kids and parents will always have that kind of separation where it's like, yeah, I appreciate it. But not necessarily the parent will necessarily see that. Mm -hmm. Whereas because I get put in the middle when it comes to that, I yeah. see it both ways. So it's like, yeah, like you have no idea how much your son, your daughter freaking appreciates everything you put in. You don't know the freaking stuff that they say. Yeah, sure. There's days where you make them want to pull their hair out. And I'm sure vice versa. They make you want to pull your hair out. But they're going to, those are the people who are always going to be there to support you in your sport. So whether you have the talent or not, your biggest believers are always there. No, I think I think that's a good point to, to wrap it up on because I think uh, at the end of the day, kind of what you're saying with you know Canada turning on Jared and all that stuff, it, it's so important to remember. Don't ever get too high on your own press or on yourself because, like Tony was just saying, you mess up once, <laughs> and every, everyone is out. And that's how it felt even with the Olympics for myself. Like I made the Olympic team, and it was like uh, super high, and everyone was my friend. And then when I found out I wasn't running, it was like, it just, like, every, it just disappeared. Like, everyone just goes away. And then the people who are there are the people who were there before. The people who talk to you are the ones who talked to you before. Like, you, you talked to me before, you talked to me after. Like, my parents, they talked to me before. Talk, and, it, and you notice those are people who are going to be there, regardless of whether you're a success or, or you're a failure. So just definitely keep that in the back of your mind. But, uh, Tony, how can people... Uh, get in touch with you if they do have questions they want to know something or they just want to follow what you do um, what are the best ways for them to do so like I gotta get a little bit more active on my own website putting stuff up there yeah but uh, probably the easiest ways are uh, like either uh, my Facebook page uh, it's just just make sure that I have the URL kind of right here I'll just pull it up I can never remember stuff like that. <laughs> Give me something that happened 10 years ago. I'll remember it like the back of my hand. Yeah, so it's, so my Facebook page is just uh, Wrestling Podium Performance. Uh, my website is just www.wrestlingperformance.com. And then follow me on uh, Instagram. It's just my name, at Tony Wrestling. I keep that one nice and simple because I'll post some random stuff on there, like my cat doing something stupid. Uh -huh. uh, and, and just for, just so everyone knows, wrestling is spelled R-I-S-L-I-N-G. Yeah. There yeah, we it's go. like the wine without the E. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and um, is there anything that you have, is there anything you're working on that you have coming up that um, you want people to, to check out that you're doing or anything, anything big coming up on your end? In the process of putting together, I'll have something in a couple of days when it comes to thinking of that cool cool cool. well what i'll what i'll do next time that we hop on for for your second round we'll yeah. uh, hopefully be able to, to dive in that a little bit more cool yeah cool and other other than that you guys thank you for listening uh, tony is obviously going to be back again we got some more hot topics we're going to go through um if you guys have any you know help that you want athletically definitely check out athleticcourage.com if you have an injury question definitely download a code from the app store uh, and if you have any questions for me, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram. My, my uh, handle is at IanWarner310. Until next time.